you know, like I said, for this house, I think it's probably around 160,000 pounds of dirt in one mass. So when people ask what we do out here, I say we take dirt from one place and we put it in another place in a slightly more organized fashion. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 203 with Richard Ward. You've probably never heard of Hyper Adobe, And what is a bunker bus? Why would someone want to move off-grid to the Arizona desert? On this week's show, Richard Ward gives us an inside view of his 24-acre homestead outside of Bisbee, Arizona, where he teaches sustainable, natural building practices and off-grid living. Make sure you listen to the end because Richard has an invitation for our listeners to actually come and experience and help build with natural building materials through an eco-residency program. I hope you stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing. Tiny House Decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. I am here with Richard Ward. Richard Ward began his tiny house journey in 2015 when he built his first 250 square foot tiny house on wheels from scratch. In 2017, he built a second 54 square foot tiny home and spent in total four years traveling the country. In January of 2020, Richard bought 24 acres outside of Bisbee, Arizona and started a nonprofit focused on teaching sustainable, natural building practices and off-grid living. Terraform Together, over the last year and a half, has hosted over 100 eco-residents and built multiple structures using the natural materials found on the property. Richard Ward, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, or I should say welcome back to the show. So we were chatting before we started recording. When you were last on the show, you had, had really just purchased this property, this 24 acres, and, and brought your, your tiny house there. But there really wasn't much else there. Can you can you catch us up on on the various projects and things that you've you've worked on since then? Yeah. So I think when we first talked, it was kind of early 2020. We had just purchased this 24 acre lot and we're living just in an old RV with no water. Um, I think we had probably just gotten electricity set up. And since then, over we just celebrated our two year anniversary in January and. Mm-hmm have really grown the place to be actual sustainable off-grid homestead. So in, I think it was June or July of 2020, we started hosting people through the apps Workaway and Wolf, and then have kind of transformed that into a full nonprofit mm-hmm. where basically people come out and you know work on the land and then we teach them natural building we teach them kind of off-grid living skills. And basically, the goal of it is to create advocates for the environment. So mm-hmm. kind of my view on the thing is, you know, with climate change and all that happening, really the only big ways to impact that are through government and through big business. In my world, I don't want to be a part of either of those. But <laughs> what I can do is create a space where people can come get connected with the environment in a more sustainable way, and then hopefully send those people out to become those big advocates. And that can be as simple as somebody realizing their water usage um, at their home and reducing that, or we've had people that 
have completely left their city lives and are now starting homesteads because of their time out here. So fantastic. Yeah. And the the property seems like a, a natural building playground in, in a way. Like yeah. you just keep kind of choosing different methods of natural building and just jumping in and, and giving it a try. Yeah. So we uh one of our first big builds was our root cellar. Uh-huh. And so that was uh, earth bag technique, which is basically a, a woven bag that you fill with the, the natural sifted dirt that we dug out for the root cellar. Bag those up, uh, stack them, put barbware in between them. Um, that was our first really big build. We've gotten into hyper adobe. Mm-hmm. So that is a similar technique, but a little bit different in that. The bag is almost kind of a mesh, and you put just a tiny bit of cement in there to kind of solidify the bags. After doing that, the hyper adobe versus the earth bag building, uh, we'll never be doing earth bag building again. The hyper adobe is so much nicer and easier and just quicker to work with kind of thing. So okay. really what we do out here is like, our, you know, we're learning on the go and we're teaching as we're learning, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So doing things like cob building, which is just sand, clay, and straw, everything we get from the property, a little bit of water, mix that together. Um, You can use that as actual structures, or uh, we use it a lot for uh, basically the exterior of our builds to kind of weatherproof, uh, insulate, all that kind of thing. And really, we're just experimenting um, with a lot of different things and trying to figure out what is the best, easiest, most sustainable way to make these structures that, you know, will easily last two or three hundred years. These these hyper adobe are little tiny hyper adobe house, which has become a behemoth of a project. That was... I think roughly 160,000 pounds of dirt. Oh my gosh. Not including our, <laughs> not including our rock uh, that we had to sift out. And we got that. The bag work is almost done. We have like one or two more layers. Wow. But we did that bag work in two months. So we've been definitely, um, you know, busy out here and moving a lot of dirt. <laughs> That's pretty quick. And do you ever like rent a you know an excavator or a loader to do like to to excavate a whole bunch of clay for your cob projects or is this all by hand so we do i have a guy that um he has the the backhoe that comes out so in october we started our kind of main home community space Mm -hmm. and as part of that he dug out i think it's about a 20 foot round hole that's about 12 feet deep wow and so yeah it's that's basically our basement for the main house so where we are we get a lot of what's called caliche uh, which is essentially what they make concrete out of and so about a foot and a half down into the ground it's just pure concrete so we definitely have to have an excavator come out to start the projects but once we get the project started everything is sifted packed um you know mixed all that kind of stuff by yeah. hand yeah very cool so let's start actually with the root cellar um how big is it and and are you are you using it as a root cellar truly yep yep so we finished that project a little over a year ago mm-hmm. there's with everything out here, there's always little stuff that we have to do, but we've been using it for about a year and a half. It's about, I want to say about 10 by 10 square little root cellar. Okay. And basically what that acts as is our pantry for our community. Okay. Because we've had, usually we'll have somewhere between five and 10 people out here at any given point in time. We've had up to 15. Wow. And so being able to have a temperature controlled place where we can keep produce and things like that is really important. Over the year that we've been using it, what's been really nice is um, we haven't really seen the temperatures get below like 50 degrees in there. And we haven't Mm -hmm. really seen them get above like the mid seventies. And with this, we're going to be adding some more insulation into the roof Yep, and another door to kind of act as a break and insulation break. 
before the summer hits. So I think once we get those things in, we'll probably be in the like upper 60s to low 50s nice. year round down there, which is really nice because we don't have a ton of electricity out here. Um, solar, but mostly batteries. Panels are fairly inexpensive, but batteries mm-hmm. can get really expensive. And trying to 24-7, you know, temperature control a room for electricity is is a lot so just by building underground we've achieved that without any electricity and that was also the inspiration for um the big house basement because we're going to be doing some like geothermal regulation down there okay and essentially having a basement with some tubing that goes underground buried in the dirt and so basically we can pull the cold air from underground in the basement and pump it up to the main living areas. We're also going to be doing some passive solar stuff with and basically creating a greenhouse inside the Uh house that's kind of blocked off. So during the summer, we can pump the cool air from underground. During the winter, we can pump the heat that's produced in that greenhouse room into the rest of the house. So basically with a couple little, you know, 10 watt, 12 volt fans, we've got heating and cooling. Nice. And you, you're in the, in the desert, but it's, you experience kind of a full range of, of very hot and cold temperatures. Yeah. Yeah. We have like six or seven seasons out here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We we get in the summers We're we are high desert. So we're at about 4,500 feet, but in the peak summer, I mean, we'll get up to 105 degrees Fahrenheit. During the winter, we've gotten down into the teens. Wow. And with the desert, the normal fluctuation of things is somewhere between 30 and 40 degrees difference between the hottest of the hot during the day and the coldest of the cold at night. So we may be at 105 during the day, but we may be at 68 during the night. Yeah. Yeah. Or I was thinking more like, you know, 80 degrees during the day and 40 degrees at night. That's like summer and winter. In one day. Yeah. Uh, we've we've gone from mid seventies to the twenties is kind of where we're at right now. Wow. Wow. So how are you heating currently? Just like wood burning or, or how are you heating currently? At the moment, um, we use propane stoves, kind of okay. little RV propane. Yep. I would like to switch away from that eventually into more wood burning stuff. Um with our hyper adobe, the nice thing is we get what's called thermal mass. And so our walls are 18 inches thick. And so all day the sun is heating up that structure, but the heat's Mm -hmm. not penetrating. And then at night that heat is penetrated in. So during the day it stays cool and at night it stays warm. Very nice. We don't have the roof on it yet. So I haven't been able to test this theory, but that's kind of the, the thought behind it. So you can supplement a little bit with like a small rocket stove or something like that, but you don't need a whole lot of extra heating and cooling is the goal. Nice. Yeah. So the hyper Adobe, that's, I think the project that I've been following most recently, you, you post great, great photos and video updates to Instagram and Facebook. And so it's just course by course, these long red bags, right? Right. So the, the best way to kind of think about it is they almost look like the like onion bags that you get from the grocery store or potato bags that are yep. kind of have all the little mesh holes in them. And what that does is we're mixing a mixture of what we're using, which just varies from place to place and pile to pile. But we're using two parts, our native soil, mm-hmm. one part sand, which at the beginning of the project, we were getting sand from our wash. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we did have a pile of sand brought in. Um, just because I drive an old truck and doing, you know, multiple tons of sand every single day. And that was putting some wear and tear on it. Um, So we did have have sand brought in. And then we use basically 10 parts dirt to one part cement. And that just kind of helps glue everything together. What's nice with the perforated bags that we didn't have in the root cellar build with traditional bags is since it's perforated, when you wet the course below it, you and then put a fresh course on top of that, basically the clay will bond to the layer below it. Got it. And so the whole structure is basically one giant, 
you know, like I said, for this house, I think it's probably around 160,000 pounds of dirt in one mass. So wow. uh, when people ask what we do out here, I say we take dirt from one place and we put it in another place in a slightly more organized fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it, it's, that's so cool. It kind of welds itself together as you go. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm sure the, the water also is, is somewhat of a precious resource, you know, that needs to be brought to the site in order to wet it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing that was a learning experience on this project was since we had the community starting up, we have 5,000 gallons worth of tanks. And at the moment we're having to get water brought in. Okay. So we'll get 4,000 gallons at a time. And dirt last winter, we had six people out here and uh, 5,000 gallons worth of tanks would last us somewhere between five to six months. Mm hmm hosting somewhere anywhere between like four and ten people yeah since we've been doing this we learned that that is there's a lot more water that goes into it so that those tanks that would last five to six months are now lasting about a month and a half which is not ideal but we did recently basically make friends with somebody that has a well so we can start kind of pumping our own water out of that um, which will be really really nice for the future now would you is there potential to have a well dug on the property? Like, would there be water down there or is it, is that not in the cards? Um, it's not in the cards for me personally, Okay, because where we are to have a well dug is somewhere between 40 and $50,000. Oh my gosh. The, yes, <laughs> the, and the issue with that is Arizona is not great at regulating their agricultural and farming practices Mm. and so our aquifer has dropped 100 feet in 10 years so a lot of the wells around here are starting to dry up which is why we're switching to rainwater harvesting is our goal yeah Uh, we do a tiny bit of that right now every inch of rain will get a couple hundred gallons that we can use but in the long run, we are in the desert, but we're considered a wet desert. So last year, we actually had our biggest monsoon rain on record. And so we got over 20 inches of water, which with enough roof storage and enough tanks, we can actually sustain ourselves totally off of rainwater. Right, right. And it's just about having enough collection and enough storage. Yep. Yeah. So we need to sustain four people out here. We need um, about 4,000 square feet of roof, and we need about 10,000 gallons worth of tanks to make it through the year because we get most of our water in about a six-week period during monsoon seasons. Wow. Yeah. So so with this hyper-adobe structure, what what is the structure going to be when it's complete? Like, Is it a residence for you, for, for residents? What is it? Yeah, so the idea behind this was to create a test house before we started the main house. Um, So the main house will be somewhere between 12 and 1500 square feet. Mm -hmm. And we created this, which is um, about 280 square feet. It was intended to be a small project, but it's actually the biggest thing we have on the property right now because Mm -hmm. 15 feet looks very different or 15 foot diameter looks very different on the ground (laughs) before the house is built and before you realize you're putting two to three tons worth of dirt in each layer. And so the idea behind this was basically to be a test house. Um, And so we tried a bunch of different ideas. Um, We used a lot of like bottles um, in the walls that are kind of artistic and let light in, but also kind of showcase like the ability to recycle trash and make something really beautiful. Yeah. We had some hard learnings on this, which was good because, again, I wanted to kind of screw up on a small scale before we screwed up on a main house sort of situation. Yeah. Because these homes are pretty permanent. And so eventually um, this will probably become a residence for one of our eco residents, one of our, our volunteers that comes out here to learn and also kind of a showcase house of like different building techniques and things like that. Nice. Can you share one or two of those hard learnings, just in case there's anyone listening who's interested in Hyper Adobe? (laughs) Sure, sure. So I think our biggest screw up, which this and I, I, I don't take this lightly at all, because we're we're 
an environmental sustainability nonprofit and we're about building healthily and sustainably. Yeah. One of the things that I learned the really, really hard way was about using uh, railroad ties. Mm -hmm. And so logically railroad ties, they're very inexpensive. They're, you know, 12 by nine, um, like really solid wood. Yeah. And in my research, I had seen other people who had used those as part of their construction. It looks like your door frame and window. Yes. I, I see. I yeah. see those railroad ties as the door frame. Yeah. So they look really cool. They're really inexpensive. They're really structurally sound. Yeah. The issue I found out after we had them installed was that they are soaked in what's called creosote, Ooh. which is full of nasty chemicals and almost um, poisoned myself because of the smoke coming off of them whenever they we were cutting them. So Ooh. we have remedied the situation. Um, there's a, a product called Creo Shield that is specifically made because a lot of old buildings, they use those creosote beams not yeah. knowing they were toxic. Yeah. And so they there is a, a company that specifically does that to make sure you can, it's like a spray on epoxy or something like that that encapsulates the um, railroad ties. Yeah. The issue is it's very, 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 very expensive to have that done. And so our cheap railroad ties that look really cool became really expensive after doing that. But yeah, we're able to solve the issue. But that was definitely one of our biggest learnings. A lot of the things we do out here, like I said, we do a lot of experimental construction methods and things like that. So this was my first time doing a hybrid OB build. Mm -hmm. And so we learned a lot about like what a good mix is and what a good system is. And once we started getting high up on the wall, I mean, it's it's when we're on build days, it's it's an all hands on deck kind of thing. Yeah. Because we'll have one person that's constantly, constantly mixing batches. We had one person on the ground, one person on scaffolding and one person on the wall, like handing up buckets and then. Usually it's me running around with, you know, looking like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to keep ahead of everybody on like, okay, do we need to put a stair in? Do we need to put bottles in? Are we putting chase or um, our electrical lines in or what, what's the next step on that level? Because yeah. once once the walls are up, there's not a lot of going back and, you know, changing things. Right. It's cool. So it, it seems like you are actually anything that needs to be structurally attached to a wall gets built into the wall while you're like on each course. Yep. Yeah. That's the idea behind it. And this project, we, we went really, really quick on, um, we did, I think 40 courses in about a two month period. Uh -huh. And so a lot of that, like one of the things that was another kind of learning opportunity was to attach your roof to the bags. You use hurricane straps. Okay. And um, it's basically like a big ratchet strap kind of system. Mm -hmm. And you embed those in the walls. So the weight of the wall is holding down the uh, roof. Well, I didn't order enough hurricane straps. We just kind of continued on moving because the hurricane straps were supposed to be delivered before our next build day. They weren't. And so mm -hmm. uh, we just kept moving and kept moving. And now we're having to drill through these walls to install the hurricane straps, ah. um, which is not fun <laughs> at all. No, no. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's just, you know, we're, we're running quick on this build and that's kind of, kind of the point was to learn, okay, how important are these different things? How important is planning? What can we add afterwards? What do we really need to consider on the, um, the, you know, initial build. And one thing with, you know, I've been doing tiny house design and construction since 2015. And mm -hmm. my thing is, using a lot of reclaimed materials, using a lot of like scrap and salvage stuff. Yeah. And so you don't always know what your dimensions are or what you're going to get or find, you know, when you're dumpster diving. Yep. So it's, it's an interesting challenge to build something that needs so much planning and that's so permanent mm -hmm. while taking into consideration, like, I have no idea what my cabinets are going to look like. I have no idea what size sink I'm going to be getting. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's 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 a fascinating project to watch take form and <laughs> and I can't wait, you know. Thank you for sharing those learnings because again, like 
sometimes it's it's a paradox that you have to slow down to save time later. But you know, yep. like with the hurricane straps, that's a perfect example of it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's I, I should have known better to do more research on the um, railroad ties. It's just hard when mm-hmm. you see other people using it, and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, that's cool, that makes sense. But one thing that's really important doing any kind of scrap salvage, things like that, is to know where where your materials are coming from and what, yeah, you know, chemicals and stuff. Because I know a lot of people do like pallet construction, and some of those pallets are very, very, very toxic. Some yeah. of them are fine, yeah. but you just need to know, you know, what the, what that pallet is. Yeah, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tiny house decisions my signature guide, and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is, a, is a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Um, deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans, different types of trailers and more. Uh, then in the in part two, we get into the system. So heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, we talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, It's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY, when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. So uh, another project that I'm really curious about is, um, well, actually, before I ask, what I'm noticing in the pictures of the Hyper Adobe is that it reminds me a little bit, I interviewed... um, uh, someone about aircrete construction, which is um, kind of a cement mixture that you make and you mix it up with dish soap so it becomes really kind of light and fluffy and you create, you basically build blocks out of it and then you build these round dome structures and I'm seeing, you know, how you are using a, a compass, you know, a, a basically a, a fixed center point to kind of guide the course of each wall. And that's similar in in that form of construction as well. Yeah, yeah. So the one thing with Hyper Adobe is Uh you can do round structures are great. Mm -hmm. Round structures are like the most stable that you can build. And you can't really do domes with the Hyper Adobe. You can do domes with Super Adobe, which is a different that has is a different type of bag and then you put barbed wire in between it to hold everything together okay but that compass acts to get just make sure you're staying round um and staying in line that was another learning on our on this build is we didn't really like we had the compass but we weren't checking it as we were going on each course mm-hmm. starting out and then our courses kind of started bowing outwards so we had to bring them back in and so our first like 10 or so layers are a little bit wonky but again kind of learning okay how important is this yep. to because yep. you know obviously if you're checking everywhere and making sure it's exactly perfect um that takes a lot more time yeah but we kind of learned after those first couple courses and our walls started kind of bowing outwards that we definitely need to to be more vigilant on that yeah yeah and it's hard to with i, I mentioned our our eco residency program Everybody that comes out here is volunteers. Um, some of them are here for a couple of weeks, some of them are um, a couple months. And so a lot of the people that are building this are brand new to living off grid and brand new to construction and brand new to this sort of building technique. Yeah. 
And a lot of the times it's just me kind (laughs) of checking everybody's work while trying to stay on top of all the things you have to plan around on the build. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, another project that I wanted to ask about is the, is the bunker bus. Um, yeah. Looks like you took a school bus and kind of partially buried it. Yep. That's exactly what that is. So we, again, we're talking about kind of the harsh weather conditions out here and, um, we get a lot of people that are van lifers or tiny housers or, you know, that kind of stuff, people coming in teardrop trailers. And one thing that we realized was really important was to have a community space. Okay. And the guy who does a lot of my road work and uh, he does all the excavating out here for me, we were talking and he used to do salvage. Yeah. So, you know, someone would have a property they bought and wanted everything taken off and he would go remove everything and toss it or whatever. And he had this yep. school bus that was graffitied. It was bullet hole ridden. It, it had been used as somebody's target practice. <laughs> like oh it, it was okay. The engine was completely gone off of it. It was it was nasty. But he's like, I, I got to get this out of my yard because it's just it's terrible. Uh-huh. And. I was like, I'll take it. And he's like, pay me to tow it out there and you can have it. And I was like, awesome. So the day before he was going to bring it out, I was down in the root cellar and it was 100 degrees outside and it was 70 degrees down there. Mm -hmm. And so I called him and I was like, what do you think about burying the bus? And he was like, I don't care. Just pay me to dig the hole. And so I was like, cool. So he brought his back out, dug the hole. We'll actually be... Uh, launching uh, that video series here in about a month or so. Nice. Of that going into the ground. And yeah, he brought it out on a a trailer and drug it over there with the backhoe and dropped it in the ground. Um, And then we've been doing renovating it. Um, So actually, we have two people living in there now. It's everything out here is kind of in partial construction um, just because of the way our permitting system works. Uh You have to get your exterior finished on everything. So a lot of what we do is get the exterior done and then kind of get the interior functional. So the bus has kind of become our overflow um, bunkhouse situation. So we have three beds in there and then also kind of a community space. So we have a little TV in there and an office space and just basically uh, a space for people to go where they can be inside and not necessarily like if they're living out of their van or something like that. It's it's nice sometimes to just get out of your own space and to have a place to stretch your legs. Yeah, and it looks like you've done also some some earth bag and cob work kind of around down into the entryway and at at, at the back door. Yep, yeah. So we we had, since it's buried in the ground, um it's buried up to the windows. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to totally bury it because that would have like compromised it structurally and then also you would lose kind of all your natural light so it's just buried up to the windows the the funny thing was the guy that brought it out wanted his tires back so we were going to take the tires off the bus before or once it went into the ground he didn't dig the hole wide enough to take the tires off um and so we ended up having to just puncture the tires and let it settle just um, onto our little block yep and yeah so we ended up building a little staircase down. It's still got the original bus door. Um, it's still got a lot of the bus windows, but a lot of the windows that were a bullet holed, we ended up taking out and putting just some like thin steel, basically what the bus is made out of. Okay. Over all the openings that were shot out, and then ended up, you know, doing it like you would do a normal bus conversion. Um, took the walls off, insulated it. You know, put up. We ended up putting up drywall. Um, oh wow! Put in some beds, stuff like that. So electricity down there. We have outlets and all that kind of stuff. It's very cool. It's not the most beautiful bus conversion I've ever seen because it's still partially in construction, but it's a really nice functional space for our uh, community members. Yeah, and and just a very clever way to reuse something that you know essentially sounds like it was never going to drive again. Um, but oh, it had no engine. <laughs> yeah, no engine. So, but it, but yet it was a viable space that was already yeah, done. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to 
build walls and build a structure. You just dug a hole and stuck this thing in the ground. Yep. Yeah. And, and I mean, for the, the, the excavation and the delivery, it was about a thousand bucks. And so it wasn't free, but I mean, a cheap Home Depot shed that's like eight by eight is three or $400. And so to get a steel structure out here, that's 40 foot long and whatever, seven feet wide on the inside. Like that's, that's very, very inexpensive. And then we probably have a couple grand back in, you know, building materials and stuff like that drywall. But a lot of the bus seats, we're um, one of the projects we're working on recently is we took those old bus seats and kind of stuck them together and made some organization for our our shop for like plywood and um, scrap wood and stuff like that. So cool. We actually have the uh, all the old gauges and stuff that'll go in somewhere. I don't know where, but they're all like old busted out gauges that look pretty cool. And we're able to get a lot of the scrap material and reuse it in different builds in different places. Very cool. Very cool. So let's talk about the um, eco-residency program, because I think that be surprised if some listeners got in touch it sounds like you know if if you're interested in getting your hands on some some natural eco-friendly building techniques and just get get some experience um tell, yeah. tell us about it yeah so this program for people who or I, I should say um it started as uh we were taking uh work so there's a website, workaway.info, where you can go and basically people have host profiles and they have, you know, you can sign up as a volunteer and just mm-hmm. travel around. And the general idea is that your host will feed you and house you. And then um, you work on the property for a certain amount of time on whatever project. So when we started mm-hmm. out here, we were doing Workaway. And that has kind of evolved into our eco-residency program because we had so many people that came out here that were like, this place has changed my life. Um, I, you know, have never had the experience of getting to use power tools or anything like that. We had one girl that came out that she was, you know, early twenties and always wanted to work in construction, but never had the opportunity to, um, cause she grew up in family where, you know, the women don't work in construction kind of thing. And, she had no experience, but she was one of our best builders after like three months being out here. Nice. You know, she she needed she needed the technical training, but she had the drive to get stuff and build stuff and all that. So seeing people come through like that, it was really inspiring for me to actually make this a thing and make this a nonprofit and expand this program in a way that, you know, we can actually grow in the future. Mm-hmm. So kind of the the gist of it is basically we have people apply. Um, we do have limited space, so we can usually host around 10 people at a time. And, you know, the, the residencies kind of last anywhere from two weeks to six months. Um, we're pretty open as long as people are contributing members, good fits mm-hmm. for the community, all that kind of stuff. But as people go through the application process, come up. Either we host a lot of van lifers and a lot of tiny housers and travelers and stuff like that. So people that bring their own residence is a lot easier for us. Yeah. Because we have six spots for or six beds on the property that we can host people. Okay. But basically the idea is that, you know, you come out, we feed you, we house you, give you a parking spot. We've got showers, kitchen, all that kind of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, you work on the property for around 25 hours a week is what we ask. Okay. And a lot of that comes with, you know, we'll do dedicated build days. We'll do dedicated like class days. And so, you know, we we did a a Cobb class recently. And so that was an hour of going through the history and the science and the, you know, how the, the clay interacts with the other particles and um, you know, actually out there in the field, getting your hands dirty, getting your hands muddy, building with these natural materials. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that this is kind of our playground. Um, and so a lot of the stuff for me, the fun part is learning different techniques and making stuff that's like functional housing, but also really cool and really beautiful and really inexpensive. Uh-huh. So 
like our hyper Adobe home, the budget on that is somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand dollars for a house that'll last two hundred years. Yeah. And so giving people the opportunity to learn how to build their own house, learn how to, you know, even if it's just like, hey, changing an outlet or how to use some power tools or just, you know, different things. A lot of the thing a lot of people find a lot of value in some of our power tool kind of class things. So teaching people how to use a saw safely and how to use, you know, the right kind of screw and the right kind of bits and, you know, that kind of stuff. So our, our classes vary significantly depending on what projects we are working on at the moment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's a really great program for people who maybe haven't had the experience to build, um, want to learn more about both the off-grid living, the natural life uh, or natural building, um, but also just some basic kind of construction and confidence building and community building and stuff like that. Very cool. So are you currently accepting applications? We are constantly accepting applications. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, like I mentioned, the hybrid OB build was 160,000 pounds of dirt moved by hand uh, in about two months. And so the more people we can get out here, the better. It's, It's hard for me to plan because we don't have like a set structure of like, oh, you're here for only a month or whatever. So a mm-hmm. lot of people that come will stay until they don't kind of thing. So right. it's always hard for me to know. I can only plan about two weeks in advance if we have, you know, openings or not. But it's a really pretty easy interview process. I, I do tell everybody that living out off grid in the middle of the desert is definitely a hard situation. But we have a really good community and we have a lot of programs that educate and things like that. So it's kind of living on the extremes of like, you know, this is a really beautiful, gorgeous area um, and really great people and a lot of good learnings. Um, but also yeah. it's it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, it, it does. You know, looking just at the photos of the finished structures, you know, negates all the hard manual labor that goes into it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so we we do get some people that get burnt out and stuff like that, which is fine. But we also have people that, you know, we've had two people that came through our program that now own land right next, right in the same little valley that are starting their own homestead. Nice. Because of their time here. Yeah, and and I think I'll direct people to our previous interview, which I'll link to in the show notes for the episode, because we go into... Well, your tiny house journey, you know, your your first kind of two to three tiny homes, and then also, you know, this location and why you chose this particular part of Arizona for the kind of local regulations or, or lack thereof. Yep. Yep. Nice. Um, <laughs> so want to turn to kind of kind of the future. I know you said you can only plan specifically two weeks in advance, but um, on on Terraform Together, the website, I see that you are thinking about this 1500 square foot Earthship. Yeah, so that we actually had our first day building on that um, right. a couple days ago. All right. Yeah, which was really exciting. So we're we're still at the point of getting our basement leveled out so that we can start putting back work down there. But again, part of the eco-residency program is inherently we need big jobs. We need big projects that are aspirational um, to work on. And so, you know, my, I see myself, this is my, my forever home. So I'm 30 right now and I hope, you know, I get another 30, 40, 50 years on this earth. And so I'm kind of looking at the future of, you know, climate change and things like that. And, yeah, you know, not to bring the podcast down, but that's not super optimistic as things sit. And so this larger Earthship is kind of our big build that will probably last. I mean, I'm estimating probably the next five or six years to actually get it finished. Yeah. For our permits, we have a year left to get all of our bag work done, get all of our exterior done, which is stressful. <laughs> yeah. What happens? Um, is it, can you extend if, if you don't? So we can get a one-year extension uh-huh. 
but I know my thought process and how I work. So if I give myself a one-year deadline, um, I should be able to hit it within two. If I give myself a two-year deadline, it may take four. (laughs) So we're pushing. (laughs) Yeah, just because that's, yeah, that's the way uh, building works out here. And especially during the winter, our winter is our busy season because everybody, we get all the snowbirds coming down and, you know, everybody wants to be running around in shorts and a t-shirt in the middle of January. So Yeah. yeah, we try and get as much done as possible in the winter. And then the goal is to have our basement done before the summer hits. And mm-hmm. so we do have that room that's probably going to be around 70 degrees during the summer when it's 105 out. But yeah, our looking to the future, this is going to be about a 1200 square foot house. And the nice thing is, it's something that will last out here for, you know, a couple lifetimes. And with the community, one thing that we've I've le- realized is, my house is my first tiny home, which is 250 square feet. And I guess two Christmases ago, we had 15 people living out here. So we had, and the weather wasn't good. And so we had our entire Christmas dinner with 15 people plus myself and some friends um, in my 250 square foot house cooking on a two burner stove. That's um, awesome. And so <laughs> so um, the goal of this house is to be, we're doing basically a 17 foot diameter underground section, a 36 foot diameter above ground section, and then also like a little small um 15 foot diameter bedroom in there so the nice thing is um when we do have big gatherings and stuff like that we'll have a space for that and also as you know with the tiny house living when you have friends over there's no privacy as far as like people climbing all over your bed and getting in your nightstand and stuff like that (laughs) so i would really really like a uh, just a bedroom <laughs> that's mine yeah. <laughs> that yeah. people aren't everybody travelers coming in and yeah seeing yeah. all your business yeah and now are you the sole full-time resident or are there other full-time people there so i i'm kind of run the community um okay. since we're a nonprofit, we do have a board of directors two of our board members actually live in the same 40 acre lot that i i live on and so uh-huh. they're all here locally our community director, and then our environmental sustainability director. They're both great people. Our community director is the sweetest lady and makes friends with everybody instantly, which is nice because she can go advocate for us in the community while I'm helping build. And then um, we're working with our environmental sustainability director, which he's he's a neighbor that's less than a quarter mile away. And his background is in, um, he does surveying, to make sure grazing practices and stuff are seen to in a sustainable way. And then he's actually working Mm -hmm. with us a lot to regenerate the land out here. So we're doing a lot of rainwater harvesting, building berms and swales, and basically taking the land back from the cattle grazing that Mm -hmm. has basically destroyed all of the natural plants and stuff like that on this land. So it's me running a lot of the things and kind of wearing a, a ton, a ton of different hats. But we do have some support from a couple neighbors that are really and interested in our cause. Uh, we've also started to connect with other homesteaders in the group. So doing some community outreach stuff. And nice. this upcoming Sunday, it, there's been a group formed that I'm just getting to be a part of that is basically... A, Two times a month, everybody will pick one person's homestead and, you know, 20 or 30 people descend on it and work on whatever project they're working on. So we're going to start taking our crew and, you know, helping out some of our neighbors and that kind of thing. Very cool. And expanding out to the community and and helping others. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Richard, anything, is there anything that I haven't asked you about? Any projects or or things that you're excited to, to share with the listeners? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really exciting to see our, this Hyperdobe build come up. Mm-hmm. I feel like after two years of living out here, we're just now getting kind of out of survival mode. And it's nice to like, you know, know some things <laughs> <laughs> and being able to like yeah. plan yeah. accordingly and not just, you know, feel like we're just surviving out here, but that we're really thriving. Yeah with the nonprofit, that's, that's a huge thing because up to this point, everything's been Mm self-funded. And so 
being able to accept donations from people and being able to, um, I'm once we get, you know, all the paperwork and stuff like that, because we are fairly new and the IRS and all that takes some time, but our end goal is to be able to get donations from, you know, like the big box, uh, Home Depot, Lowe's and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. One thing in particular is like, uh, cement and concrete, you know, they'll do busted bags that they have will go in the trash but if they can donate it to a nonprofit, we're taking stuff that would have been thrown away and actually using it to teach people and you know create these really cool houses that will last hundreds and hundreds of years so yeah yeah becoming a full nonprofit, i really wish i would have done that earlier and um but that's that's been a really exciting development on our part and Really just like that has brought in so many things again with our, you know, our environmental director that um, our sustainability director that's like working with the land. We put in a few test rainwater harvesting stuff this last year and got like 15 tomato plants and a watermelon All right. that we didn't plant. We didn't plant. We didn't put the seeds in. We didn't water. We didn't do anything with it. It was just I, I call it a. Uh, I'm patenting this uh, rapid composting system. Okay. Where basically you just make a really, really poorly built composting bin that all the animals get into, and then they eat all the stuff and then go spread the seeds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um, So we had that happen, and then we got a bunch of plants that just popped up, and that was kind of cool to actually be able to like harvest tomatoes. And it wasn't a big watermelon, it was maybe six inches long, but. Um, we ended up eating a watermelon that just popped up out of nowhere sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's been cool to like see the land and year after year after year and being able to work with it and kind of help it out, you know, where it doesn't need human intervention. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I, I look forward to continuing to follow your journey and, and, the journey of your community and, and hopefully in another year or two, I'll have you back on the podcast to, Talk all about the 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 Earthship being done, yeah, or the, the outside <laughs> being done, <laughs> yeah, and yep. Uh, and all the other things that are going on. Uh, Richard Ward, thanks for thanks for being here again. Awesome, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Richard Ward for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a full transcript and links to everything we talked about, at thetinyhouse.net/slash two o three. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 203. Well, that's it for this week's Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Walbin, and I'll be back next week with another show. See you then.